So I want to start a four-week series with you today called Understanding Christmas. Understanding Christmas. And I want to pose the question, who is Jesus Christ and why do we believe in him? Who is Jesus? Why do we believe in him? Matthew chapter 16, Jesus poses the question to his disciples and he says, uh, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Some 2,000 years ago, there was a lot of misconception, if you will, in regards to the identity of Jesus. Who do people say that I am? Some thought he was a great moral teacher. Others thought he was just a cool religious leader. Others thought he was a prophet. Others thought he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Jesus follows up with a question to the disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? Who, who, who do you say that I am? And I believe to get an accurate portrait and understanding of who Jesus Christ really is, we must study the four Gospels and we must study the 66 canonized books that God has given us. I want to share with you five thoughts today that I want you to consider. And I really want you to ponder these as we contemplate this whole understanding Christmas narrative. Five thoughts. One would be this. Jesus fulfilled biblical prophecy, hundreds of them. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of hundreds of biblical uh, prophecies that have been made. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says this, but when in God's plan the proper time had fully come. In God's plan, when the proper time had fully come, God sent his son. God sent his son so that he might redeem and liberate those who were under the law that we who believe might be adopted as God's children. Very, very interesting phrase used in Galatians 4. I've studied the epistle writings, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all this. But I remember getting to that verse years ago going, why does he use that statement? When the proper time had fully come. Some translation says when the fullness of time had come. Others read at the right time. And it means that God ordained this one moment in history and he ordered all these circumstances to line up at this one given moment that his son would be born at the right time, at the right location, at the right moment in history. God was orchestrating all of this so that when the star shines down, the shepherds get the word, angel appears by saying, hey, check it out. It was, ba it was basically everything being ordained by God to line up because he was about to reveal himself once and for all in human form. The Jews, 1 Samuel 8, if you go back, the reason this is interesting for me, if you go back and study scripture, 1 Samuel 8, all these other nations had a male leader, if you will. The nation of Israel came to God and basically said, we want a man to lead us like all the other nations have, leading them. So God granted their request in 1 Samuel 8 and gave them a king that was named Saul. Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 8, he's anointed king. And so for years, from the anointing of Saul being king, for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, 
Israel had seen good king come and bad king come and bad king come and bad king go. And it was a story of failed kingship. But from the time Malachi speaks, there's a 400-year time of silence when God is kind of shy. And then when the fullness of time comes, some 400 years since Malachi spoke, at the right time, at the right moment, at the right place, God is sending the king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords, which will be Messiah and ruler forever and ever. So when Paul captures this, he says, when the fullness of time or at the right time, God sent his son. God orchestrated all of these events. Now, if you study scripture, and I would highly encourage you to ponder this, don't, 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 don't miss this, don't minimize it, don't trivialize it. There's over 350 prophecies in the Old Testament that were made that are realized in the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 7 says, he'll be born of a virgin. Micah chapter 5 says, oh Bethlehem, you're a small Judean village, but out of you is going to come the king, the one who is going to rule. God is going to send the Messiah out of you. I mean, those are two simple ones there. Uh, Isaiah 9 says he's going to launch his public ministry in Galilee. Isaiah 35 says when he comes on the scene, he's going to be teaching in parables. He's going to be teaching in parables. Isaiah says he's going to be performing miracles. Zechariah says he's going to be riding on a donkey. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeshua HaMashiach is coming. Hosanna, Hosanna. He prophesied about this 700 years before he was ever born. Isaiah, 700 years. Micah, 500 years before Christ was ever born. God had already written this in Scripture when the fullness of time came. Isaiah 53 says he'll be wounded and bruised. He'll be crucified amongst thieves. He'll be buried in a rich man's tomb. Psalm 22 says that when he is crucified, listen to this, he will be torn apart and his garments will be cast. And so people are going to be bartering for his garments. He goes on to say that he will raise from the dead. Psalm 16. When you study it, over 300 and 50 prophecies were fulfilled in Christ. So when we start to contemplate and understand the Christmas narrative, it's not just this baby. It was all of this history pointing to this one moment that God is going to clothe himself and the incarnation, meaning God becoming flesh, is going to become a reality. Now, I was studying this going, this is crazy. Scholars say that after examining only eight prophecies, they estimate that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight of these prophecies would be one in 10 to the 17th power, which would be one with 17 zeros, which would be 100 zillion. One and 100 zillion of a chance of one man fulfilling even eight. Jesus fulfilled over 350 prophecies. If we were to take tickets, 10 tickets and mark one, and we were to put them into a hat, and shake the hat up and blindfold you and say, grab one ticket out and grab the right one. You would have a one in 10 chance of grabbing the correct ticket, one out of 10. When you look at one to 100 zillionth, that, that's a huge number. That would be like taking silver dollars, 
laying them across the state of Texas. If you took 100 zillion silver dollars and laid them across the state of Texas, they would be two feet deep across the state. You mark one of those silver dollars, just one, bury it somewhere amongst the state, blindfold a dude, turn him loose and say, go find a silver dollar. What would be the chance of him finding the correct silver dollar? And biblical scholars, when they look at this, say the same chance that the prophets would have of prophesying what they did and only eight of these becoming a reality. Jesus is the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy that God has given us. What does that mean? To me, it means he deserves our full surrender and attention and allegiance. He is the fulfillment of everything that God had planned before eternity passed. It's all going to be wrapped up right there. He's going to live this life. He's going to live 30 years. He's going to launch his public ministry. He's going to die a criminal's death. That is God right there. What are you going to do with him? If we had nothing but the prophecies that pointed us to Jesus, it is enough that we should repent and totally surrender to his lordship. I'm telling you. So as we understand the Christmas narrative, this is not like just some bogus dude off the street. He is the fulfillment of everything that God was about. Second thought would be this. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. He didn't claim just to be some uh, decent teacher. He, he said, I'm, I'm God. When you start to study scripture, Matthew 28, he says, all power and authority on heaven and on earth, it's been given to me. I, I'm God. John chapter 5, Jesus says, uh, I've got the power to raise people from the dead. People in the grave will hear my voice and come up. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I can lay my own life down. I can take it back and raise it up again. He claimed that he could conquer death hell in the grave in John 10. I'm God. He claimed to be one with the Father. He said, I and my Father are one. He claimed to be the only way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed to give eternal life. I give them eternal life and no man will ever pluck them out of my hand. When you start to contemplate and understand Christmas, we're dealing with God. We're dealing with the fullness of God wrapped at the right moment in history, becoming a criminal on a cross, if you will, bearing the sin debt of everything that you and I would ever do in the entire world, and then conquering death out in the grave, raising so that you and I could be put at peace with God. Jesus claimed that he's God. And as God, he demands and deserves all of our worship. Josh McDowell wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Josh McDowell wrote a book called More Than a Carpenter. Tons of things that Josh has written. Listen to what he said. He said, Jesus claimed to be God, and to him it was of fundamental importance. It was of fundamental importance that we believe him to be who he was. Either we believe him or we don't. He didn't leave us any room for watered-down alternatives. To claim what Jesus claimed about himself couldn't be a good moral man or a prophet. He is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. I declare to you, as we enter into this month of December and we contemplate the Christmas narrative, Jesus Christ is Lord, he's master, he is ruler and authority. C.S. Lewis, screw tape. Mere Christianity, tons of stuff he's written. Lewis said it this way, 
I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell himself. But you must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something else, even worse. He goes on to say, let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Listen to me. Listen. People come in here week after week. People come in here twice a month. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of over 300 prophecies. Jesus, in his own words, said, I and my Father are one. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is God. When we come in here, we're not contemplating some nice cosmic Santa. We're we're here to worship and surrender and adore and bow to Jesus Christ as the living Savior. God in Christ deserves each and every one of us sitting here our full attention and surrender daily. Every day. So if I'm going to understand Christmas, it's not trees and lights and reefs and mistletoe and reindeer. It is God has come to earth and Jesus is the fulfillment of heaven's heart. He deserves and demands our complete surrender. I had a guy in the first service come up and he said, it's time. I'm tired of wavering. I'm tired of playing. It is time to surrender. I said, good. And he bows here and prays with Esposito to say, I've got to have him take over my life. Part-time Christianity is not Christianity. Jesus Christ is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. We do not reduce him down to manageable terms to make him what we want him to be. We either embrace him in the fullness of who he is and allow him to be who he really is. He's Lord. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He claimed to be God. He demonstrated full power and authority. John the Baptist looked and said, are you really the one or should we expect someone else? And he says, uh, go back and tell John that the blind are seeing and the lame are leaping and the lepers are being cleansed and the dead are being raised. Go back and tell John that I am the fulfillment of everything that God has spoken. I am a miracle worker. I am the one. You can't mask what he did. You can't duplicate and imitate what Jesus did. The demons in hell cannot muster up the power to do what Messiah Jesus did. Every manifestation was to reveal that I'm God. John chapter 20 verse 31, he says, all of these things have been written, miracles and all these stories, so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you'll have eternal life. That's why it's written. John 2, he performs his first miracle, turns water into wine to keep a wedding and a celebration going. How many freaks, if we had six one-gallon jugs, would come up here and lay hands and 
All of a sudden, it goes from straight H2O to wine. How many could do it? None. You couldn't duplicate the miraculous that he continued to do. He takes a few loaves and a few fish, 5,000 plus. He breaks it, prays over it, and he feeds the multitudes. He is God. He's a miracle worker. He walks on water. He heals the blind. He casts out demons in Mark 5. He is the resurrection and the life of John chapter 11. He tells Mary and Martha, don't freak. I am him. He is the miraculous son of God. If we're going to understand Christmas, we've got to stop. Get out of the manger. That baby in that manger don't scare anybody. But that one that defeated death, hell, and the grave invites everybody. Now, now come, I love you. I don't worship a baby. I worship Yeshua Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, the fulfillment of everything that God was about. He is the miracle worker. Study the track record of Joseph Smith who started Mormonism. Study Charles Taze Russell, who started the Jehovah Witness movement. Study the life of Buddha. Study the life of Muhammad in Islam. There's not one of their leaders that fulfilled prophecy, any of them. There's not one that claimed to be God in flesh and demonstrated it. And there's not one that did the miracles that he did. Understanding Christmas is he invites us to all out surrender. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave and defeated it once and for all. This is the ultimate proof for us evangelicals of who Jesus Christ really is. The question must be asked, did he really rise from the dead? Paul would say, if he be not risen from the dead, our preaching is foolish. Jesus rose from the dead. Study Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. 1 Corinthians 15, even Paul would say, I delivered unto you as of first importance what was also delivered unto me, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised to life according to the scripture. He conquered death on the grave. The resurrection is the hinge on which the door of Christianity swings. If there be no resurrection, we don't have hope. We have no hope. And the ultimate proof of Jesus Christ being God was the resurrection of the dead. I mean, I wrote down four statements I believe to be absolutely true. Jesus was really crucified six hours that one Friday in Golgotha. He really died. Number two, Jesus was really in a tomb on Friday night, dead. Three, Jesus was not in the tomb on Sunday morning, and nobody stole his body. Four, Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he lives to make intercession for us. There is one man between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who is exalted and lifted up. The ultimate proof of who Jesus is, is the resurrection of the dead. Understanding Christmas. Understanding it. He deserves and demands our full surrender. He invites us to come to him so that we would have life and have it to the full. He invites us to come to him. 
And if I really know this Jesus, I'm going to go into the world and declare to everybody else, you've got to meet this fulfiller of prophecy. You've got to meet the Son of God that is God. You've got to meet this miracle worker. You've got to meet this one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. You've got to meet him. And listen, I'm much more passionate to talk about this than I am a 28-7 score yesterday. I'm much more excited to talk about this will change a person's life. This will change a person's narrative forever. So passionate to be able to share Christ because it changes people's lives. I met with my friend on Thursday. We sat there and talked for a while. And I asked him, I said, when are you going to surrender? Me and my buddy Neil met with this guy. I said, what keeps you from surrender? What, what, what is it? Why don't you trust God? Why don't you do it? You can't ask God to bless your family. When you rob him, you don't honor him, you don't trust him. That, that, that's not God. What, what keeps you? And I said, are you ready to surrender? And he goes, I need to. I said, I didn't ask you if you need to. I know you need to. Do you want to? Are you willing to? He goes, I'm willing. I want it. And we sat there in a mechanics shop on Thursday, and this guy praying to surrender. You don't have to be here. But it can be here if you've never surrendered. It is time to drive the stake in the ground and understand Christmas. Jesus says, I've given you the greatest gift you'll ever have. I've given you the greatest gift of salvation, but you've got to be willing to receive it. When you deny the resurrection, you remove the heart of the Christian faith. When you deny the resurrection, you're taking the heart of the Christian faith right out of it. You can be a believer and not totally understand uh, the resurrection, but it, it's impossible to be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. You understand all of it? I understand all of it. But I understand enough of it. And I continue to study the power of it. Jesus 5, Jesus alone can transform your life. There's not another entity, religious leader, religious figure on this planet that can totally transform your life. Not there, there's not one. Only the one who defeated death on the grave. Only the one who modeled what he did and lived the way he did, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Only the one who paid the ultimate price of atonement for you can ultimately transform your life. I was reading this quote the other day, and I was blown away by Napoleon Bonaparte. Listen to what he said. Napoleon said this. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is not mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded great empires. But upon what did the creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus founded his empire kingdom on love. And to this very day, millions would be willing to die for him. Did you get that? 
Muhammad came through force, manipulation, intimidation. That is the entire psych of Islam. Jesus came in love. Jesus, as John would capture it, he would say, greater love than has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. The ultimate love statement is in the person of Christ. They slap him, he turns the other cheek. He treated people with dignity that treated him like trash. But he looks at each and every one of us, whether we're wayward, whether we're running, whether we're floundering today, and he goes, I love you. I came to honor the Father, and I I came to redeem you. I'm what you're looking for. That would be the declaration of Jesus. I am what you're looking for. So if we're going to understand Christmas, if you're going to understand it, please spend some time contemplating the fulfillment of prophecy. Please understand the declaration that Jesus makes about himself that I'm God. Understand his power and authority. Understand his dominance over death. But understand that he wants to radically transform your life. Understand that he offers you the gift of total transformation today. Don't run from him any longer. And leave the misconceptions of the Christmas narrative behind and embrace the Yeshua of Christmas.